Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are, and welcome, Aka Fleischer. Yes, hello. And me, Sheni Hichnas, Ahadar Marbin Besim. So happy, finally. Oh, me, Sheni, 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 Hichnas Adar. Wow. Yep, we've entered the 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 double month of Adar yes. this year. It is it is the, it shows the wisdom uh, of our great sages that when they had to intercalate the months, they had to what? Yeah, add a month uh. in order to match up the sun and the moon because we 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 want to show the love between the sun and the moon, and they have a little bit of a different calendar in order to match them up. We intercalate. I think that's the pronunciation. Uh, the month um, really quite quite a. It happens quite often uh, that a year will have 13 uh, lunar months because another month is added. And so uh, our, our our wise sages or sage wise people, men, um, added uh, the month of Adar, the happy month. We don't have two Avs, even though, you know, some of us are Hungarian or whatever it is. We we do not do an extra month of worrying hey. or an extra month of, we don't have an extra this month of- This is not, what is this? This is microaggression against no, Hungarian people. No, I just mean to say that within us, all of us is a little Hungarian as well. Like you, like I'm saying, we all have- Why do you have to go there? We have Jewish nervousness. That's all yes. I mean. We have Jewish nervousness, Jewish guilt. Keeps Jewish us alive. Shiva, that's right. Jewish repentance, Jewish, all that stuff. But the, but the rabbis could have been like- you people need an extra month of repentance. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here's no, another. Like, no, 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 here's no, no. another LOL in your face. Yeah, right. Another LOL, like, ah. I need that. Or here's another preparation month for Pesach. Clean yeah. some more. Scrub oh, away, Jews. That sounds rough. Right. No. So instead, although I like, like Nissan. Hey, Nissan's great, and LOL's great, and LOL's great. great. I love LOL, and it's great to be alive. Yeah. But the rabbis, in their kindness, were like, in their wisdom, I think, were like, nah, nah, nah. You we need, need, we need a little need more month happy, of, of joy. You need a juice. month of joy. And and this is a very important thing. We have 60 days of joy. Wait, Isha, you know, I just have to say, I have to interrupt you for a second. Go ahead now. Um, in one of our WhatsApp groups, um, somebody shared this like most hilarious forward about like sentences that only Jews understand. Right. And that non-Jews cannot understand. Right. So one of them, and there were a lot and they were really, really funny. And one of them is like, what does it mean that Rosh Hashanah is coming out late this year? Right. Like, how can a holiday be late? Be late. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah, we have two months of Adar. Right. Well, pushing the calendar back a little bit. You're right. But what's really interesting about about Judaism, I think, is that really we have uh, the solar year of the Gregorian, the Christian world, the, right. the Western world. And we have an Eastern calendar as well, which is a lunar calendar. Right, and we coordinate them. We coordinate them, and I think that's so cool. Big fan. Uh, I, big I always, fan. I always, big fan. I, big fan. Uh, I always wish I understood it even better, a little bit how the moon exactly. Like there are there are Jews that really understand like the whole thing about how the moon spins around and exactly when it matches. It just they're good with the numbers and the math. Or the people who like baseball, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure. Um, stats people. Stats people. And and I have a book here written by actually our uh, uh, our, our dermatologist. dermatologist whose name is Dr. Julian Shamroth. Yes. Who wrote a whole book about the calendar and how it works. And I said to him like, so how's our calendar? So he was like, uh, if, uh Give me this face like... <laughs> really? Like it's not so healthy. What does that mean? You know, because there's a lot of math involved and things go off and that's why they add another day and there's like, 
it's it's not so simple. There's there, there's like a coordination between math, and, and I, the more I talk about this, the more I sound my like an idiot. My eyes are glazing right? over. <laughs> it's not my department exactly. Here's the I think bo- I thought about laundry just now. <laughs> here's the here's the here's the bottom line. We have two months of joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you go worrying about that stuff, folks. Okay, uh, we have two months of joy now. The Lubavitcher Rebbe says something that is like groundbreakingly important. It's huge. It's massive. It'll change your life if you believe what I'm about to tell you right now. In the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he says, "We have a Jewish concept called batel b'shishim. If a piece of meat falls in." To a pot of milk, or the opposite, it really or the ends opposite. Up, let's say yeah. you have a chicken soup. And you have a chicken soup and a drop of milk. If it's one drop of milk and it's so first you pass out, right? Okay, and then you like, then they revive you, and then you have to deal with, and then the you, aftermath. Don't forget, you yell at your husband, <laughs> right? <laughs> Idiot! <laughs> you ruined my good pot. And so um, the soup, the pot, the pot, it's everything. A disaster. I'm gonna, I'm it's a disaster, right, Ishai? <laughs> uh, of course, of course, it's a disaster. It's no, what's you're called supposed a, to say no. It's not a disaster. Oh wait, I thought no because I, I was, was thinking, setting you up. That was a uh, that was you know in no, volleyball the person who makes it go up high, the ball, and the then you're spike, supposed to spike it. Got to spike it. Okay, then you got to spike it. Yeah, no, but I I uh, the reason I remember that is just I was remembering the uh, show that we love. Um, uh, forged in fire. Forged in fire. Great what, show, History what, Channel. What happens when when a when a knife has a flaw? Catastrophic like a, failure. Catastrophic failure. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a show. Recommended. About, recommended it, show. It's fun show, for the whole family. It's a show about about making blades. It's a great. It's a show. competition it's about a competition. making blades. And it's just it's just a clean, awesome show about real stuff. Any case. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. We're talking about what happens after you revive me with the smelling salts, and then I have to figure out okay. what happened after that drop of milk. We got to help, we gotta help people come back. Okay, yes. so, so let's, we're scared. Basically, Maka, don't interrupt for a second. Here it is. You drop the drop of milk into the meat. What happens is that you would think it's not kosher. You would have a catastrophic moment. Because we don't moment. eat milk and meat together. Right, because we do not eat meat. Not only that, but such a cooked moment of Couldn't meat mess and up milk. the pot also because pots are not supposed to be used for both things. Right, you can have it, pot if you use a pot for meat, it is not used for milk. Right, and it could it could it could trafe up the pot, mess up the pots. Status chills. <laughs> That's right. But we have a concept of batel bashishim. If that drop is less than one sixtieth of the of the chicken soup, and it doesn't give lend taste, and it didn't lend any taste. Uh, any any noticeable taste? Then what happens is that it's it's okay. It passes. It's kosher because it is batel, which means it is diluted nullified. by in one sixtieth dilution. N- nullified in one sixtieth. Right. So the Rebbe says, if you are joyous for sixty days straight, right, you can nullify all of your little problems, all of the things that are bothering you, all of your unhappiness. If you fill your life with happiness for 60 days then uh all the things does it have that to are, be the whole time or do you have to do elements of joy every day um, i hope for number two because yeah. i don't know if i could do number well, one well it's funny you say that because i was just before recording this i was on twitter yeah and some jewish dude was just calling me a liar and being mean liar! to me. Liar! he was just being mean to me and and like 
and calling me out in, in an ad hominem way. I'm like, bro, you're going ad hominem on me. They're like, you don't even understand what ad hominem is. Why don't you look it up? And he sent me an, a, a link to ad hominem. I'm like, assaulting your character, but so, not- So the- what it says here then? Yeah. And this guy that was I going- understood? Good. And, the, and then I And then I was like, I was like- and and usually when it's an enemy, I can like put a smile on my face and start to really get get like heated up. But this guy was just like an angry Jew. Yeah, that that, that he, he was is just no fun. And and, and I was there's like, no there's no like sparring funness in right. that. So what I did was is I muted him. And yeah. you know what else? What? I smiled to myself and I said, "Nice try to get me out of my otter zone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, nice try." Mm-hmm, and and I have another little secret which I want to tell you. Right now here we're recording exactly a few hours after Rosh Chodesh Adar, right? Finished. But it's still Rosh Chodesh somewhere in the world. Ah, so nice. I count it as like it's still got the Rosh Chodesh nice, energy. Nice. It's got the juice. Well, you yeah. still, even if you're not in Rosh Chodesh, so you're still in Chodesh Adar, which is still really nice. Right, but still Rosh Chodesh Adar, I'm saying it's like it's still Extra happening special. right now. It's still yeah. happening right now. And so, Malka, you and I will take the 60-day challenge. Ooh, we'll try, we'll try, we'll 60 try. 60-day challenge of joy the 60 so much joy there's it is ridiculous amount of joy almost i don't know nauseous noxious (laughs) amount of joy really to be joyous for so long but but it is really indeed what we have to do now i'm going to talk to you just for a second maka about something that makes me joyous go there's something that makes me joyous in this world Little things make me joyous. You have lots of things that make you yeah, joyous. Yeah, I'm a man who enjoys like little things in life makes me just make like me a very good happy. Egg breakfast. Well, you're not eating breakfast these days. Yeah, starting at twelve. Intermittently. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I did have an amazing sandwich recently, one that you made, but I also was at a I restaurant. I know the other sandwich. I know about your other, it was an your egg other sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, we were at a, a, a tourism ministry meeting in, uh, for Chevron. Afterwards, our boss took us out for a little bit of a small lunch, but it was just delicious. But that's not what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about snow piles. Snow piles. You see, last week we told you about the snow. It snowed last week. Beautiful little snow. In the meantime, it's been sunny. It rained. Then it was been sunny. It's been warm, and yet there are a few piles left from when they cleared the roads. The big, big piles. The big piles. Now I call these snow piles. Me and Leah came up with a name for them. They're called Snoopies. Okay, Snoopies. Hashtag, snow pile. That's right. So so little Snoopies. And I just love them. It's like 14 degrees Celsius outside. You know that there's like a ton of New Jerseyers and Ottawans and stuff listening to this show right now who are just like, what? That's right. Well, here in Israel, they know those people have visited Israel and they know that we don't get snow that often. And, and, and my sister came over last Shabbos with her kids and they enjoy the Snoopies, the snow piles. Because where they live in in uh, in Rehovot, there are no Snoopies at all. There was no snow, so like it's something special. It's very speaking very... of snow. I just have to give a shout out to two listeners who I know listen to our show, um, Gabriella and Jeanette, and they sent me the most unbelievable snow pictures from Switzerland. Uh-huh. Like oh gosh, like I want to print and hang I on my wall. I didn't yeah, see I'll that. Yeah, I'll show them to you. The Alps. And I want to. They're sledding on like real sleds and stuff. Oh, man. Not like the plastic garbage bags that we tried to wrap around a cardboard box so that we could snow in the uh, we could sled in the right. half melted snow here in right. the Holy Land no, no, of Israel. They're, yeah, they're in a snow a snow. They're in like a real snow Alps. wonderland. Yeah, the snow wonderland. Yeah. That's right. So, so that, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, to, they're not looking for a Snoopy. Like, I'm not, yeah, for. I think the, their world is Snoopy right now. I just want to say I love Snoopies because because when I see a Snoopy, I'm like, you're strong. Look at you. You're such a survivor. Just keep going. 
keeping it. I'm just like so proud. Everything else outside is like sunny, warm, and you stick your hand in that Snoopy. You don't really do that, right? You're not sticking your hand in the Snoopy. I haven't. I haven't, but I've wanted to every time. I'm just like because they're kind of black on the outside. Some of them are. Uh, in other colors, but uh, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> I'm saying that Snoopy is awesome, and I just I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the Jew. It's like you're a survivor, you're still there. Nice. There you are. Uh, but of course, the Jew is warm and not cold. Nice, uh, that's nice, right. We have nice, to serve nice. Hashem, and we're going to serve Hashem in joy. Now, speaking of Snoopy, mm-hmm. that rhymes with Whoopi. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good segue. I was th- I was ready for that for a long time. Wow. Because I know we were talking about Whoopi Goldberg and her statements. Yeah. So I was like, how am I going to make that transition? And then I'm like, Snoopy r- kind of rhymes with Whoopi. You did it. And so there you go. Good now, for you. I know, I know. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg uh, was on The View. Yes. And she came That's out. That's a TV show she's on regularly, I believe. Okay. And she came out with, uh, with a statement that the Holocaust wasn't really about race. They were talking about this book mm-hmm. in Tennessee. A lot of listeners probably already know the story. Okay. Um, in, in a Tennessee school district, they decided to take Mouse out of the um, curriculum. Mm-hmm. I have never read Mouse. It made me want to read Mouse after I read that. They mm-hmm. said that it wasn't good. What this cartoon thing? It's like yeah, it's with I've a cartoon mouse. It. It's I haven't. It's harsh. It's harsh. Yeah. yeah. So th- they were teaching it to eighth graders, and they decided they don't want to teach it to eighth graders because maybe, from what you're saying, it's a little too harsh, and there might be some like nakedness or something in the book. And they wanted to take it out. They didn't say that they're not going to continue to teach Holocaust studies or anything, but they're not going to use this book, and it caused kind of like a discussion in America about like a rehashing of the Holocaust issue, sort of. I was saying, you can't call this racism. This was evil. Mm-hmm. This, wasn't, this wasn't based on the skin. Have you come to understand that the Nazis saw it as race? Well, because they might, like, well, asking the Nazis, they would say, yes, it's a racial issue. Well, see, this is what's interesting to me, because the Nazis lied. It wasn't. They, they had issues with ethnicity. Not with race, because most of the Nazis were white people, and most of the people they were attacking were white people. What I saw is that she says, uh, you know, the Holocaust isn't really about race. It's really about the evils that mankind do to each other. Do to each other. So, on the that, fa- a, that it was white people against white people, basically. That's what she said. Also, right? She yeah. said it was just white people uh, fighting white people. Right. Wow. Well. Wow. When that. When. When. Well, that's such a remarkable statement and it's like so 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 many people came out and and, and started speaking about this the first thing is it, it the first thing is is that there's a lot in america and an american psyche and black white that whole thing right the race like war right it's which like, i don't maybe i'm living in the dark but i don't feel like is going on here in israel so much it's like not, in America, it's a really big issue. Still. Right, it's a big issue. And look, I just want to tell you something. It uh, wasn't a big issue in America when I was growing up. So I, I'm going to say something general, okay? Yeah. Theories of Marxism, what they do is that they pin different classes against one another in general. Yeah. And when when Marxism came around, its its major goal was to pin the working class versus the, the rich and the owners and, and, and that kind of thing. And with time, it has evolved into a system by which you really destabilize a place through pinning various groups that have natural tendencies against one another. You foment that tendency. Uh, Recently, KGB documents have have been released, not just recently, but for for years, basically explaining how they wanted to foment Nazi-like hate in the Arabs 
against the Jews because they wanted to destabilize this region and create a really? constant conflict. What is wrong with them? Uh, an excellent article was written by my friend Richard Kemp. Colonel um, Richard Kemp. Colonel Kemp, that's right. And uh, it was in Gatestone. And so, just so you understand, in general, mm-hmm. there are... There are forces that are naturally have tensions with one another. A very simple one is men and women. Another one is because there's there's you know there's men can be violent and women can be victims and and it's all, and it's this whole like you know sexual tension all these things, and so if you are looking to sow tension between forces, you that's that's what you that's what you focus on. Same thing between blacks and whites, which have historic tensions. Um, and same thing for for uh, races and, and and sexes and and all these things, and so there there is a there is a and left and right. There are forces out there that that benefit from our conflict between one another. Right. Just it's important to understand that. Okay. And so what America is going through partially this 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 black white thing, part of it is is this effort. Notice, by the way, a person who uh, got into office and in his time, the whole race thing came up very strongly was was President Barack Obama. Because President Barack Obama, by, by his own pedigree, was part of the, a Marxist-Leninist way of thinking. Uh, and instead of, instead of creating an atmosphere of, uh, of, 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 of cooperation, coexistence, and, and norm, normalcy and the success of the black community, he stirred up, in my opinion, the way I understand it, a continuing tension that that was fomented much more than it was before and that's what we're seeing some people today. argue some people would argue against you isha and sure. say that these sure. were issues that were already extant but that they weren't kind of uh and they were you know that the mainstream I, no, that, wasn't aware of them that, and so that i am in agree with there's no. always tensions but somebody wants to co-opt foment uh what's the hebrew english word to stoke to, uh, stoke, yeah, the stoke the fire stoke the fire so that's issue number one now let's get back to Whoopi. So, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you have to yeah. say about this. Um, I saw the, the the first thing I saw was I saw uh, my friend Ben Shapiro mm-hmm. talk about. Um, he, he seemed mad. He was mad, and and he basically you know said this is part of the way of trying to delegitimize the Jews right. by turning us into white people. What I add to that is that that's one of the ways that you delegitimize Israel as a. Middle Eastern Jewish country by saying the Jews are actually white interlopers, colonialists, and therefore apartheid, mm-hmm. all that stuff. That all comes from us being now white. Right. Second thing is that what she was saying was was uh, I think the Babylon Bee really captured it in a funny, funny way. They were just like it's a it's like a satir it's a satirical newspaper. It's a satirical newspaper like the Onion, and they were like Hitler is watching the View in Hell, and he's like, what's wrong with her? I called the Jews germs. I said that this was a war to end their race. It was all about the race. How could how could Whoopi miss this? And and a third thing was that uh, uh, our friend Eugene Kantorovich uh, also tweeted about this. And he you know he's a very famous international lawyer. And he kind of just said like you know if if somebody would go back in time, they would understand the Jews as a race, and and to to make them into white would be would be absurd. And also, isn't it silly that this lady named Goldberg is not one of the members uh, of, of that of, non-race? Of that non-race. In any case, the pot was stirred. It's mm-hmm. funny how the Holocaust pot gets stirred because, because Malka, it turns out that history is always being reshaped. And I, I never forget 
that Noam Arnon, Dr. Noam Arnon, my, my, my colleague and mentor at Hebron, told me something that I never forgot. He said, when it comes to archaeology, there's a saying, the future is one and immutable, unchanging. The past is always changing. Right. And, and that's the situation right, we have Right, the analysis here. is always different. You know, when I, I do not watch The View, and I haven't seen Whoopi Goldberg in anything since, like, Sister Act back in the way, way back in the day. So I had to kind of dig in in order to understand what this story was. And once I heard the story and what she said, and incidentally, I just want to note, in fairness, that she, after what happened, she brought Jonathan Greenblatt from the ADL onto The View, and she apologized for her statement. She said she stands with the Jewish people, and that she had not intended that, and that she was very sorry for hurting people. And then Jonathan Greenblatt, I thought, did a, did a pretty nice job of ta- of briefly explaining that the Holocaust was a um, indeed a, a racial, a, a racial like a um, an effort to annihilate the Jewish people. Right. And the people are a specifically race. the Jewish right. people, the right. Jews, right. and other peoples also. They didn't right. like. It wasn't like too general. If, if your father's father was Jewish which means that you are technically not Jewish. You are still, consi- uh, according to the Jewish ethnicity, right. racially, you were considered a Jew and you were an enemy of the state. Right. And there was the Nuremberg Laws, which were right. specifically race-oriented against the Jews. So, okay, so, like, so, so, but I, I heard that you had a... I had a different reaction. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. My initial reaction. And I think it's fair also to, like, chew over this stuff and to like get you know have layers of it and to come to different um conclusions after sure. a while and stuff like that but i'll tell you about my initial reaction that's that's a good point by the way i just want to say yeah. i appreciate what you're saying we, we live in such a jerky reaction i myself right. trigger I'm, fingers are very itchy yeah I'm, i myself am am sometimes uh do that right know, that's like, the culture today it's yeah. like and no one's allowed to make a mistake Right. And no one's allowed to be like, you know what, I, sh- I didn't really mean what the way I said that. Or like, I did mean it, but now that I've thought about it, I realized that that was wrong. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, and I, I really would like personally, so that was one reaction I had, which is like, I would like to get back to a world in which like you don't get canceled for everything, even anti-Semites. Yeah, this this Jew okay. this Jew that was angry at me, he was like, "You don't deserve your your name, Rabbi," and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "Bro, you just right. it's like erasure. Right. It's right. like you want to erase right. people." Right. And so, like ABC or whatever network that this show is know. on, they I like they took her off for two weeks. Ooh, uh. Even after she did this thing with with Greenblatt. Wow. Now she also went on some other show, like a nighttime. Colbert or something like that like a nighttime comedy show and she was still talking about this stuff but there were claims it was taped before and I don't know okay okay but the point is she got on the view and she apologized now I don't want to be what they call in Israel a friar okay (laughs) I don't want to be a sucker and just because a person gets in trouble and then apologizes for the thing that they got in trouble for so that they won't be in trouble anymore doesn't mean I have to trust them listen to them or believe them but there was something about this I even saw as she was like arguing this argument I thought to myself, this is not a person who even knows what they're talking about. Right. And for her, possibly because of her politics, possibly because of her community, she's an actress, guys. Like, she's not a great scholar of history or whatever. And she, in her experience and in her mind, race, and she said it basically, is like, I think race is where I can look at you and go... You're this, mm-hmm. you're that, you're Hispanic, you're black, you're whatever. Right. And so 
uh, which and the Nazis, incidentally, you know, there are famous pictures of the Nazis like measuring the noses of the Jews and trying to figure out the the uh, visual cues to determine what a Jew looks like and how many Jews hid in the Holocaust or even some of them amidst society because they didn't quote unquote look Jewish, right? So this this thing of look for her yeah. was by like the, by the way, my grandfather uh, looked and spoke Polish, right, and was able to to kind of to blend evade, in that yeah. way, mm-hmm. right. So, so I don't mm. like it's dumb of her, and she's so wrong. But like at the same time, I don't have high expectations from her. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like I, I understand that. But on that Star to Trek, her. she was Guinan. Right. That's which true. Which was and really it was very a wise. wise. Yeah. That's it's her whole so thing ironic. was wise. Right. Well, yeah. she failed big time. Yeah. Anyway, so I just thought to myself, like this person doesn't get it, and they don't understand what makes race. And part of that is the culture of today. Right. Which is like, it's so much about your actual physical coloration. Right. And I resent that. Right. I personally resent that. Well, you should resent that, of I course. don't know. I like, yeah. I guess maybe because like I'm a light-skinned person, but I am not from a Caucasian race. I am not a Caucasian. You have dark features. I have dark, you know, yeah, I guess I have dark features. But I'm like, I burn in the sun. Right. But that doesn't make me not Jewish. Right. 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 Another thing that I kind of reacted to there's also some difference and i don't want to get into between race and ethnicity i don't so Jew, yeah. Jew, jews are all those things but not all not each individual necessarily is all those things meaning to say like a jewish person who is a convert so they are jewish but then they're not racially jewish <clears throat> right because if you check their dna they're not racially jewish but once they're marrying a jew and they have kids and those kids are racially jewish anyway that's not the important I, part. I, I do want to say something yeah. just for a second there's a, there's an interesting discussion between what is race, what is ethnicity. One thing is for sure, though, the Jews are a very ancient people right. who have passed down their familial tribal way in a very special legal determination about who is a Jew, uh, mostly, of course, except for the convert issue, uh, because we do have another opening. But generally speaking, we have kept very tight right. who we marry and how we promulgate our peoplehood. And yet... At the very same time, one of the mystical and miraculous and metaphysical things is that the Jewish people, wherever they've lived, they've looked like those people. The Jews are, in some ways, the best Ethiopians and the best Yemenites and the best Germans. I don't mean even We're mean like the chameleons. best. No, because on the mystical level, and the Torah says this, there's an element of the Jews which is separate than the nations, and there's a mystical element in which the Jews are representative of the nations. Mm. And there's something about that. American Jews are in some ways the best of America. And they 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 take that forward and they push it forward and they when and they, they are. And when they are, right? And yeah. they, and they, but they teach it and they value it and, and and some of our Arabic scholars are the best Arabic speakers there is. Uh etc cetera, etc. Cetera. There's something there's something in this world that God created where the Jewish people other than all the hate that we face in some ways, we're there to represent to God to be the ministering German Jew to God, so that so that this is His channel to the Germans. Interesting. And 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 there's no other way to explain it because Russian Jews are Russian, and and in many ways they are like, and I know this firsthand. They're the best of the Russian culture, and they present and look and speak, and and they're the finest of the finest examples of it because it's almost like they come to God and be like. 
I speak for the Russians. I am I am the emissary. I'm the minister. I am the they ambassador. They become like the quintessential Russian. But I'm the ambassador when my family of the Russians. Moved, when my parents moved to Texas, I can't say they became Texans. Your father didn't become... But he like... But they became like the proudest... The proudest Texans. Texans. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And 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 it, and it's and it's not we can analyze it psychologically and 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 how Jews live in the diaspora and how they assimilate forget that just for a moment there's something more there's something more something very very special let's go on okay so that was one thing another thing that i thought was a little bit interesting and this is where it might become a little controversial that's okay, okay? that's okay so we'll have to talk it out and if people want to email you with like yelling at yellings at me or or um, at least uh, disagreements with me that's totally fine but let's talk it out. <clears throat> so another reaction that I had was how ironic it felt to me mm-hmm. that Jews were so concerned with showing them showing themselves. Now this is a kind of very American story, but that Jews in America were uh, very concerned with showing themselves to be racially Jewish. Because to me there was some there's something now there are some Jews who are always very proud uh, Jews who always are ready to stand out as Jews. And there are some Jews who don't want to stand out as Jews. Say a little bit more, Malka. Give it a little bit there's more. There's some Jews who really want to blend Let, in. Yeah, let's, let's, let's. There's some Jews who really want to blend in. We call it assimilation, okay? Right, right. There's some Jews who really want to assimilate. And surely, surely, American Jewry, in large measure, in massive measure, has assimilated into right. America. Right, and by far, and, if you're a Jew listening to this America. show right now, you're probably not one of those people, okay? Like, meaning to say, if you've gotten to this show and you're listening to to show about Israel and you want to hear about Ishai's Torah with Rabbi Mike, then you're probably not the Jew who is trying to just fade away into America. But first thing, it was... First thing, it's important to just say, if you're going to mention that, uh, first thing, Rabbi Mike is not on this week's show. Uh, and second thing is that I also have a lot of Gentiles, right. lovers of Israel, uh, who are an amazing lot of people Absolutely. who simply really love the God of Israel, love the Torah of Israel, love Israel, love the people right. of Israel. And they understand the, the place of the nation of Israel and the story of the world. And want to understand it and right. want to connect to it. Right. To me, that's one of the most beautiful things in the world. The, that to me is like these souls of people that like want to want to plug in right. to, to, to this thing that they see as God's revelation. So it kind of surprised me in this story that the, there was such an outcry right. against what happened when it sometimes feels like a lot of people are really pretty happy to bleed out of the Jewish race. Right. Like they're ready to not be not in the Jewish bleed race. Out, not bleed out, hug out, make money out, live out. But when you touch that Holocaust, right? Button, then you, yeah, you go. The Holocaust was about everybody. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. WTF? Okay, <laughs> this is not about everybody. This was about us. And there was something. And God is so smart. And I don't know why we're so dumb. But there's something about the Jews that, like, every once in a while, God has to like activate. It's very sad in a sense, but it's also very effective, which is that He needs to activate this like anti-Semitism thing every once in a while and right. make us but remember. Wait, but wait, was she was she being anti-Semitic? So that's that's a question, right? Because some people were mind. like, was she being anti-Semitic? No, I I don't think she was being anti-Semitic. Was I don't she think she was being anti-Semitic. Insensitive? I think she was being an extreme outsider. That's what I right, think. Right. I think she was being a person who like really lives in her world, doesn't think about Jews, doesn't like, doesn't really know. 
Something Although she, you know, she is from Hollywood. Like it can't be that she never encountered <laughs> her, a Jew. Her agent is Jewish. Listen, it could also be that what she chose a Jewish name on purpose. Right. She has said in the past that she feels a connection to the Jewish people and that, mm. that she feels like she has to be Jewish. Right. Now that could just—I don't know what that's from. Maybe it's a lie. Maybe it's true. I, I really don't know. I think that sometimes big things become like a metaphor for you, and they become a metaphor for your struggle. And in her mind, the struggle is between black and white and these things. And so the Holocaust, which is this thing, it becomes like a kind of metaphor so for I, you. I want to talk about the Holocaust but, metaphor but, for a second. But one way or another, it's, it's, it's obtusely insensitive. So, But I have to say something Go about on. that in, obtuse insensitivity. Right. Okay? And this is another moment where you may be emailing me. Okay? But I honestly, one of the thoughts that I had was an angry feeling. Mm-hmm. At Jews. Right. Here's why. I thought to myself, for so long, you and I and other people have been trying to rally the Jewish people around their... I don't like the word race for this because it's just no, cold, but around their familial... It's called their nation, their tribe. Their nationhood. Yeah, peoplehood. Okay, nationhood, around their tribe. nationhood. When all my growing up, I knew very much, and my grandparents are Holocaust survivors, and that was a very like, big part of my like, Jewish identity. Like full on Holocaust, like survivors. Re- with like numbers, and we thing. talked about it a lot. Right. And my grandfather wrote his books about it that I still can't read because I can't bring myself to like deal with it because it feels too close to me. Anyway, uh, Allah shalom. Anyway, so um, I felt anger, and I'll tell you why. Because so often I find. You know, there's so much effort that goes into like Holocaust remembrance, Holocaust memorials. And I know that the people who do that are are genuine. You know, they want to not forget because this was such a a fundamental experience for the Jewish people and such a horror that it's, there's no words for it. And, you know, they're trying to they're trying to, you know, uh, keep the memory of that alive because it's important. Right. And yet. I have found so many times that the message is that we have to be good to each other and that evil can happen at any time and that we have to destroy hate off the face of the earth, racial hate. Right. We have to destroy hate and all kinds of hate right. off the face of the earth. Otherwise, this could happen again. Right. Right. And I've always thought to myself, those are nice messages, but that's not the thing. Right. Those are good messages. I can't be against that. Right. Those are good messages, but that's not what it is. But then you have a person like Whoopi Goldberg, who's like, you know what this is about? This is about not hating each other and how people right. can be bad to each other. And everyone's like, what the heck is this? Right. It's not about that. It's about the Jewish race. And so, and this feeds into like a little bit of a problem that I in general have with the like Israel message also, which is like a lack of um, message discipline as we talk about sometimes on the show, like a lack of unity when it comes to the message. And so I've, I'm a little bit angry at, some of the people who control some of the message about Holocaust remembrance. And I feel like this kind of stuff is their fault. And that if people are confused, it's probably because we have not done a, the perfect job. Now, there are anti-Semites out there who want to destroy the message and dilute the message and, and confuse people about the Jews. And they've confused non-Jews and they've confused Jews. And it's, I get that it's a, a sophisticated thing. 
but there was there was a part of me that was like well look look what you made right like you there you go like Hasbara you created a world in which people don't actually know that right. the Jewish people are a race and they don't actually know that the Jewish people have been persecuted throughout time and they don't actually know that a Jew is a separate individual even if they look just like you they are not you and we have not held up our side of making sure that understanding is clear to everybody. No, you're, you're, you said it even even stronger, which is we've actually been part of the confusion of that message. And some I agree us. with you, some of us, and I, I wrote about it uh, years ago in Hebrew uh, in, uh, in Olam Katan. I wrote like, you know, there's some, there's some ideas that, 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 that there's Israel, there's a little Nazi in all of us. We could easily all turn to Nazis if you give us a gun. And here in Israel, gosh, this is the left's idea. If we have guns and we have become then we're a the state, Nazi. Then, then we're the new Nazi. And and that that's that and that's something Couldn't that be the farther from the global truth. left and and the jihad wants to uh, wants to send out there and right, which us. is what Ben Shapiro. That's the kind of By message way, that Ben Shapiro is trying to make. L- Link, no, he's trying. He's trying to say that the left has an right, agenda right, right, to create right, 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 this right, right. message. Check this out. Check this out. Yeah. you have. Amnesty International putting out uh, this anti-Israel report that everybody's talking about. It's basically full of lies and 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 and. It just shows who they are, really. Right. You have Whoopi with this confusion about about race and the Holocaust. You have the uh, young so-called settlers and their. Uh, coming down and burning the cars of some Palestinian activists and, and hitting them and, and pushing that and, and a lot of Jews being shocked at that and, and calling and condemning for, it. for widespread right? condemnation of it. And now you also have the IDF issuing a report condemning similar type of young men who are soldiers in the Israeli army uh, who who were being badgered and, and, and hit and, 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 and accosted by this Arab 80 year old and then tied him tied him tied his hands and put him t- and kind of to the side and and then when they released him it turned out that he had heart had a heart attack or something like that and that's the 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 the, the actual facts of it are, are not totally right, clear yeah there's but the yeah, bottom line is like if, if you look they're all they're all linked up they're all linked up and they're all linked up with a certain confusing message i often say to people the most important thing that the jewish state should be doing is working on clarity 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 here is what we are here's what we expect here's what what are the laws of this land here's what we will not accept clarity though ishai means decision making right right exactly and that's what that's what people are having trouble with they don't want to make a decision they're trying to push off the decision right that's what this that's what the last so many years of uh, Israeli uh, Arab negotiations have been about right. a, a, a lack of in- a very strong lack of interest in saying like we officially are saying that we're doing X and that's what we're right. doing. Right, you're right, and and we're we're out of time to talk about to, to talk about that. That's well, this very was a interesting spicy stuff. show today. You bet, you bet, Malka. With you, it's also spicy. It's always spicy. You know what I mean? You're the you're the you know you you you're the the spicy Tom in in my life and in the life <laughs> of the show. God bless you, uh, and and of course. Uh, but we put all that spice is going to be batal bashishim, right? Because we're going to have a joyous two months yes. now, and let us work on that joy. I I, I wouldn't uh, have this joy if it wasn't for the people that make this show happen. That's Yochevet Seidman, Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, Tabitha, and Lou, uh, who helps the show uh, happen and get it out to you. So thank you, and it wouldn't happen without the folks that are listening to the show right now. And it wouldn't happen without the folks that support by going to ishaifleischer.com and supporting some of our projects by hitting the donate page and also our new and 
really quite successful uh, coffee page, which I'm really excited about. Buy which me is a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And people have just been buying me coffees. It's a virtual kind great. of coffee, and it's a way to donate to the show. And Robert and Nancy write, Snow here in North Carolina and Snow Ooh. there in Israel. Your ministry, I love that word, um, <laughs> and life uh, brings smiles and encouragement to us. We were blessed to have visited Israel two years ago for our 50th anniversary. We left part of our heart there, and you continue to bless us with your wisdom and energy. Maka is a firecracker <laughs> that always gives your show a big Bang of excitement, oh, you see? Oh, that's so nice. That's right. And Barbara writes, thank you for the wonderful podcast. It's both informative and inspiring. I love it when your wife is on with you. Aww. You see that? Uh, uh, Bill says, thanks, Isha. I enjoy listening to your podcast. And and many other folks, uh, including uh, Gabor, who writes, uh, hi, Isha. I listened to your podcast yesterday and heard about you and Malka going through Omicron. May the Almighty keep you guys safe. And hope that you get well soon. Thank you. Shalom from Norway. Shalom from Norway. That's right. Shalom to Norway. That's right. Shalom from Norway. Uh, so, and and I, uh, I I have a great merit of going uh, a lot of Saturday nights into a Finnish uh, a sauna, so that you know Finland is not far from Norway. So I feel a connection of the uh, uh, the, the sauna connection. I see that our young our young boy has come to us now and he uh, wants to interrupt you, Malka. So let's uh, close off this let's half. Let's close it up. I want to thank you very much, Malka, for joining the show. The show continues, though, uh, with Rabbi Shalom Schwartz. Nice. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments and um, their impact in creating a curriculum of the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to ask him some spicy questions about the challenge to the Ten Commandments from things like China and others Ooh, who are who are not putting... Things like the, the God is, uh, uh, you know, one as their first uh, as their Very first interesting. Uh, and then we're going to do a little table Torah uh, with Parsha Truma, uh, and I'm going to give some some uh, some thoughts uh, about Parsha Truma that you could share at your Shabbat table. So God bless you, Malka and Shabbat Shalom. And thanks so much for being with me. Shabbat Shalom. More great stuff is in the way, folks. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. We'll be right back. And Shalom. All right, everybody. Shalom, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show. It's been a long and awesome week. Last week we had snow, and now uh, we only have snow piles left uh, on the roads here in, in the Gush Etzion, in the Judea region uh, of the land of Israel. But I love those snow piles because they are so, um, you know, strong out there, courageous, holding on to their identity out there in the heat. There's just a strong snow pile. Um, this week's Torah portion is an awesome Torah portion called Truma. Uh, the, the Torah portion, which is Malka tells me to say the word Parsha, right? Which is uh, the part that we read of of, of, of uh, the Torah, the, the 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 Bible, and it's all about the vessels of the tabernacle, and it's the blueprint Torah portion. It's one of the it's one of those blueprint Torah portions where it's going to lay out how to do things, how to make the menorah, how to make the the tabernacle, the mizbech, how to make the showbread table. So really cool stuff, but also a lot of very nitty gritty stuff. Uh, and um, and this week's tour portion is very beautiful. Uh, but I thought it was also a great opportunity to talk about something that happened uh, two tour portions ago that I, I I didn't give it the attention that it deserved, and that was the tour portion of Yitro, and that we didn't get a chance to discuss the Ten Commandments fully. And I want to say hi to my very good friends. This is so great because my some of my best friends are already here on the show. Uh, Moshe Herman says, hey, bro. Hey, bro. It's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And we're doing our segment uh, right now and uh, for, for, for today's podcast. It's going to come tomorrow's podcast. 
And Lou Weiss, uh, my good friend and co-producer here, Moshe, also producing the show, gets it out to the netwaves. Lou says, Erev Tovi Shai, looking and sounding good. Great, Lou. Thank you so much for being with us. And Linda says, good Chodesh from New York. Thank you. And happy, uh, happy new month. And uh, Michael Menasha says, Kol I haven't even done anything yet. But he says, all, all the honor to you. Great. And uh, Evo says, Shalom. And many other people are coming on. So here's the deal. Today, we got to talk about the Ten Commandments. We got to talk about the importance of the Ten Commandments. And uh, it was a few years ago uh, that I met Rabbi Shalom Schwartz. And he told me about his work with the Ten Commandments. And I thought to myself, this is something so important. And I haven't had him on. Uh, he's, a, he's a person who spent 30 years in Aish, teaching in Toronto, teaching Russian Jews, and being a, a very, very close student of the late, great Rabbi Noach Weinberg. And so uh, he has also taken it upon himself to make the Ten Commandments uh, more realistic, more, more, more palpable, more of a life a uh, life trajectory, a life, a life goal. Ten Commandments, like you know, we we hear about it, but but have we made it uh, uh, like something that's so part of our life? In fact, I'm going to ask Malka to. I was going to do it before the show. I'm going to take. I'm going to ask her to get something from the kitchen because we have a Ten Commandments in the kitchen. I'm going to ask her to do it in a second. But Rabbi Shalom Schwartz has done amazing work, uh, and it is a great honor uh, to have him on the show. Rabbi, welcome to the show. Shalom and welcome. Thank you, Rabbi Shai. Great to be here. <laughs> It's great to have you on, and uh, and uh, good friends, uh, good friends around the world are joining us, including uh, Yitzi Katowitz, who is uh, uh, <laughs> he says always nice to see Rabbi before Yishai. I think it's because uh, I was just getting hammered on Twitter by some guy who was calling to take away my smicha for whatever reason, <laughs> and then. Uh, but Yitz, uh, Yitzi is doing great work at uh, making Jewish Lego, and he's working on the most incredible model of Marata Machpelah that you've ever seen. So we're very, very excited. And Allison says, Shalom from Mark Pickles, Pickles and Allison in Manchester is there, my very good friends. And many more people are coming in, including Shalom from Brazil. Now, um, Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, Ten Commandments. Sometimes I get jealous of people like you. You, like, picked the the crowning thing and decided to make it a life goal tell me how you got to to the ten commandments as the thing in your life okay if i can just back up a little bit because you said you 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 were looking for a segue from this week's parsha to the ten commandments and it's it's sort of obvious but it's 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 not obvious in other words it's it's like yeah where are you going to talk about ten commandments in this week's parsha it's all about the temp you know the mishkan the tabernacle all the different vessels and Where's the Ten Commandments? And the answer is, you know, if somebody said to you, you know, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, did you ever see that film? Sure. Okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's got like the, the Ark, that's it, the Ark of the Tablets, and, and it's got such power, and we watch that film, and everybody's thinking, wow, if we only find the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Lost Ark, you know where it is? Does anybody know where it is? And there's been searches for it in Africa, and there's all sorts of places that, and I, I always felt to myself when I heard about this searching for the lost ark. Imagine that we actually found it. Okay, there's right. and and there's CNN is on the spot, and everybody's looking, and and they open up the ark, and what's in it? The tablets, and what's written on the tablets? The Ten Commandments, and you go, oh, okay. Well, we we have the Ten Commandments. They're not lost. Right. You know, there, there's this sort of feeling of. The, the mystique around 
the the tabernacle and what's it says right at the beginning of the parsha you're doing all this so you should put the edut the testimony that in the ark which is at the heart of the tabernacle the tabernacle is completely all about what's at its heart which is the 10 commandments right so it's it's a it's exactly about this parsha it's the perfect parsha mm -hmm. to speak about this because it actually reveals what the essence of the tabernacle is talking about I guess I guess another way of saying what you're just saying is that this week's Torah portion that deals with the Ark is about the carrying forth of the Ten Commandments, of 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 taking it with you, Beautiful. of making it part of the, the travels of your life. Beautiful, perfect. Uh, so, so it is a vehicle for those things. So so that that really feels great to to talk about it now now that you made that clear. Okay, so still, how did you yeah, personally? Okay, so how did I get to this? Yeah. So I. I the the story that I'll I'll share is 2007 on a street corner in Tel Aviv. Okay, that was a turning point in my life on this issue. And I had spent about a year and a half doing research on various things. There are certain things that have bothered me for many years. One of them was the the the, dis, the disunity that I was experiencing in the Jewish people. You know, I made Aliyah. I came to Israel from Toronto, Canada, and and most Jews in the diaspora. I would say it. It's hard to generalize, but you know, there's a feeling of, you know, you're a minority amongst the majority, and you're sort of like there's this feeling of family with Jews, even if they're very different from you. Whereas when I came to Israel, I encountered this sectorialness, this sense of, you know, he's religious, he's not. This one's that. Sephardic, Ashkenazic. There was a lot of division, but not just, uh, you know, div divisiveness. I experienced in, in a short period of time. And, and so it bothered me over the years. So I always had this feeling of what really unifies us as Jews. And, and you know, I had different various answers to that. And certainly one could argue many things. But the other thing was I always felt there was always, and I also in my years of being here in Israel, I encountered such idealism amongst most Israelis. Um, again, not everyone and not in all situations, but there was this feeling of wanting to make this country what we came back here for. And we came back with a vision. You know, the, as Rabbi Noah Weinberg used to say, in 1948, the world was holding its breath. With bated breath, they looked to see, what are the Jewish people going to do now? They're back on, they're back on the scene. They're back in history. And, and then we had to go. We had to build roads. We had to build schools. We had to build infrastructure. But, you know, now we have Startup Nation. We have our army. We have a good economy. And it was time to say, well, what what kind of vision do we have for, you know, aligning our that idealism with making this country the the country that we really wanted to be? Mm -hmm. And and the third thing was, I was always disturbed by, you know, it's a it's a little bit of a state secret, but there's there's about a million Israelis that had left the country since 1948. And I remember when I came back, and people asked me, you know, where are you from? I'm from Canada, really. Why did you make Aliyah? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, life is much easier in Canada. You don't have the army. You don't have this. I have a better standard of living. Why would you act like, because they were asking me as if they couldn't believe someone who had such a, you know, a comfortable life in Canada would actually move to such a much more difficult life. We had this conversation earlier, but, you know, presumably a difficult life in Israel. And I, I looked at them. I said, I'm, I'm coming home. This is my home. But the, it always disturbed me when I would, Think about, you know, all the sacrifice and all the the miracles that went into the creation of the state of Israel that that many 
Israelis didn't find staying here, you know, they left. You know, every for a certain amount of time when you'd speak to Israelis and outside of Israel, they'd say they only left temporarily. You know, now it's three generations, but it's still on our way back. And I believe that, and it's sincere on one level, but it was always disturbing to me. Anyways, on a street corner in Tel Aviv, a woman named Sharon Portugali, who's a kibbutznikid from uh, Kibbutz Ma'agan Michael, uh, you know, so-called secular Jew, who I had been, she and her her husband, and I, I had these discussions with them about how do we unify Jews, how do we bring us this idealism together, how do we work on this from secular to religious, you know, all these divisions. So she looked at me, she said, she'd just gotten out of the car and she looked and she said, you know, Shalom, I've been thinking about what you're looking for. I, I, I understand what you're looking for. You don't have to create it. It's already there. Mm. It's the Ten Commandments, the Aserah to the Brut in Hebrew, the Ten Commandments. And I, and I looked at her and she said, don't you realize that's it? That's what the whole ten, the ten Commandments answer all these questions that you've been troubled by. They mm. are this thing that unifies all Jews and certainly all Israelis. It's and, and it and it gives us this, this connection to creating. It's like a vision. It's a national vision for how the country should look. Imagine if we're all keeping the Ten Commandments. What would this country look like? She said one thing right. though. Said and and not only that, she said that you might think, well, the average secular Israeli doesn't feel um, you know, it's too religious for them. But she said, You're wrong. The average secular Israeli like me feels that we it's ours. The Sarah are actually mm. these Ten Commandments actually express who we are, our identity. And I looked at her, I said, Sharon, I, I, I was really literally it, in shock. It is sometimes a it is sometimes a woman's necklace, for example. Like my wife has maybe two, I think, necklaces of the Ten Commandments. I mean to say that in some ways the Ten Commandments is a uh, index of laws, but in other ways it's also an identity. It's also something that you can identify yourself with. I am I am a I am a follower of these things. This 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 is totally. the code that I live by. Totally. And and I'll, I'll add to that that I subsequently found a, a statement from the rabbis. It, it relates to what you were saying earlier, that the, it says that before the Ten Commandments were imprinted on the stones, on the stone tablets, they were actually imprinted on the souls of the Jewish people at mm -hmm. Sinai. Mm -hmm. And and we Israelis actually said this, it's this, the Ten Commandments, that's us. It's an expression of identity. And like you said, you ever think of it as making it a life goal, it's much more than that. It's literally an expression of our identity. It's imprinted on our souls as sort of a spiritual and moral DNA code that we can align ourselves with. And when you see the depth of that and you see the level of identification that especially in Israel they have with that, it's, it's actually quite obvious that it's something that's been overlooked for all these years as a force for unity, a force for positive change and ultimately an expression of who we are. Okay, so you've developed, you've taken this kind of ideology towards uh, the development of uh, a website and a, a curriculum for schools, and, and they have entered the schools here in Israel, and you also have uh, ways to, to, to get people on board through uh, a website that's aseretglobal.org, A-S-E-R-E-T, Aseret, which means 10 global.org like the ten commandments but globally.org and i'm putting that uh putting that up right now for people to see and i saw that you could join 
classes and you could and you could bring a curriculum to your school. So you've done a lot of, of work on that. And what I want to do is I want to I want I want to spice it up a little bit, right? Because the Ten Commandments are kind of famous on the one hand, but maybe they're not kind of famous in, in another hand. And and I will tell you a little story that happened to me just like a month ago. And no, it was it must have been two months ago. I was in Miami uh, for a conference called the IAC, the Israel America Coalition, and it was in a great lobby. Uh, uh, it was a, gr- a great hotel and a, and a nice lobby there. Um, and I met a guy that, that I met from a different conference. His name is Mark Goldman. And Mark Goldman says to me, I don't know how we got talking about this. He's like, today, there are culture, there are parts of the cultural world. He named them, I think in his words, there were the progressives and other things. But he says they are every, they want to go against every one of the Ten Commandments. So, you know, it sounds hyperbolic. And then he started listing and he said to me, and I wrote it down. I wrote it down what Mark Goldman said to me. I said, he's to me murder. He says, that's late term abortion. They want to get rid of babies that are already fully formed and, 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 and kill them off. That's murder. And then that's, and that's legal murder. He says, theft, uh, shoplifting has become uh, practically legal in, in parts of California uh, where you're like not going to be prosecuted for a theft of less than uh, less than $900 or something like that. And it's just like, you see, theft is, is, is legalized coveting. He says, tax the rich. Right, take from some one person and give it to another person. That's that's coveting. He says uh, parents have no uh, specific uh, rights anymore. Don't trust the parents. That's an old '60s term. Remember, don't trust anybody over thirty. So honor your parents is is thrown out the window. Media, they are machines of bearing false witness, says Mark Goldman. Uh, Shabbat. He said something interesting. I don't know if I took good notes on that. He said. Every day is like Shabbat. Every day is the Sabbath. You you can you know you're not supposed to work too much, and thereby killing the uh, the idea of Shabbat. Uh, and he says uh, n- there's there's also it's a society of no repercussions, which means there's no God. Nobody's really looking at you. You do what you want. Uh, and and that's some of the ways that he said to me that there are elements of society that are today anti the Ten Commandments specifically. And another example of that, and I don't mean to to badmouth. A whole powerful hegemon, but it seems like China is a machine uh, that has its ideology. But one of its ideologies, its main one, is we don't, we're not, you're not allowed to have religion in China, and and its global influence uh, has could have that as well. And so there's like a kind of godlessness in this this juggernaut that is that has influence all over the world. So uh, I, I wanted to spice things up a little bit and say to you, okay. Here's a guy who says there are elements that are anti Ten Commandments. What's what's your answer to that? What do you think? Is that is that true? Are there people that are that are picking up the Ten Commandments and saying I'm going against this? Uh, and is is there a kind of contra world, which is maybe what you're bringing to say, no, no, let's make this real in our lives? It's a very you know I happen to know Mark. I think it's a very oh, powerful, yeah. very beautiful and powerful observation. Uh, there is a book that some that uh, David Kingsley is his name wrote on showing how America is basically breaking all the Ten Commandments. And uh, it's it's a 300-page book. You get very depressed by reading it. Um, you know, it, 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 there's actually a, a, a one- or two-minute video that I once saw called Breaking All the Ten Commandments Before Breakfast. <laughs> it's genius. It was a little, you know, it had every one of them, and then it flashed on the screen when you were breaking. Yes, we do break the that. That's the point. It, it's mm. it's it's these are things that are easily broken. 
Now, having said that, I think that the the point of of is is anybody happy with that? Is this do we celebrate these? You know, shoplifting is rampant. Do we sell? You know, we these are not. There's a there's a uh, you know this um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're, you're sort of it's a collision course with the Ten Commandments. Like the mm-hmm. reason that those things rub us is because they're in the Ten Commandments and they rub against our core values. Right. And and the the Ten Commandments are meant to be core values, and I, I love that term because it's something that really speaks to this same point. They're in our core, and and when we run up against them, and we see somebody, God forbid, violence or stealing or murder, you know, but even adultery, you know, maybe we become, you know, used to it. So there's you know there is this thing of sort of oh yeah of course you know. <laughs> What can you do? But if you really look at it in the face and you say, okay, this is this is tragic, you know, that people are destroying the fabric of trust in marriage. And when you hear about it with a God forbid, a, a relative or a friend, you go, Oh, that's that's tragic. So it, it's being in touch with the fact that that part of you that is at your core is really not just annoyed, but is is, is screaming. You know, there's part of us that goes, I, I, I can't allow that to be. It's unacceptable. And and that's the power of identifying them as core values and consciously carrying them. Now, I, we discussed this earlier. You know, De- Alan Dershowitz was on record as saying that the, there's only nine commandments that are applicable today in America. Uh, you forget about the last one. Don't covet. The whole society is built on 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 covening, on on advertising that is basically preying on your desire to covet that's what the capitalist society is forget about it let's let's deal with nine well i i i would take a, a little issue with that because i would just say one of the beauties of the america that i knew uh is that actually uh there was this belief that you too can earn it and get it and and live the dream. And you don't you don't have to covet another person's thing. You just have to work hard, and and the system will give you a chance. So there was something kind of. And if you go to Middle America, you go to you know the places that I go to, you still see that it's a very beautiful. There, there's this. Yeah, people want stuff, but they don't want other people's stuff necessarily. They just they're just living a, you know a good and decent and wholesome life. And really, in in, in America, I think you're going to find a lot of people who think that the Ten Commandments are indeed a very important part of life. I agree with you. And I, I think he's he's not reading the whole situation. But it, what it what it raises is that, you know, we the average person is constantly bombarded with information through advertising saying, if you don't have X, you're missing out something crucial for your life. If right. you don't look like Y, you right. know, you're you're not you know. So the 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 eye culture, the selfie culture, the <laughs> the um, is is really preying on. I don't have looks like she does. I wish right. I did. Right. So that without going into the halachic, the the actual legal aspect of the Ten Commandment, don't covet, which is a, a longer discussion. But clearly, the ten that don't covet has this core principle to it. What we say is in the mission says, don't look at somebody else in order to get your satisfaction where they say don't try to live someone else's life that's already taken the only one that you can live is your life and right. the Mishnah says the one who's truly rich is the one who is truly taking pleasure in what he has right. and we know that our children are bombarded by this and the and there's a massive 
a challenge to grow up in an environment like that and truly realize that you have a unique purpose that's been designed for you by God and, and all even the challenges you've been given are specifically for you. So each of these Ten Commandments are meant to be fulfilled not only in avoiding the negative. I'm talking now about the, the ones that are phrased in the negative form, but the 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 core idea that's really important here is each of these has a positive core value that underlies it. Yeah. So in the case of don't covet, it has to do with happiness and it has to do with understanding unique purpose. Right. So re re really, really, one can read one can read it as uh, and I, I'm sorry to be pithy. It's not my way, but one can read it as a roadmap to happiness because every one of them. Uh, loving God, honoring God, uh, not bearing false witness, not taking God's uh, name in vain, keeping the Sabbath, um, um, uh, uh, honoring your, your parents. Really, it's, it's a total roadmap to a healthy society and, and happiness. You know, if you have the Sabbath, that's joy. That is just plain joy. That's the time with your family. That's the richest, you know, thing in your week. Um, honoring your parents and, and, and giving them continued uh, support and, and and giving them continued life and and having them around for your children it's it's just these these things make you wealthy they make you they make you happy um and and if there's borders around not doing bad things uh obviously like murder you know it, when you or, or coveting you just have these borders and these borders these boundaries and these boundaries create a happy fulfilled life so really the ten commandments is a is a, you know you could totally turn it into like simple roadmap for joy in life you would think everybody would want it yeah and it it, it the depth there is extraordinary I, mean, I like to say there's like their ten commandments are simple and deep they're jewish and universal mm -hmm. they're um timely and timeless they're all inclusive but very specific and they're personal and national they're personal and and uh and apply to the, the society as a whole. So they right. have these dimensions that you're saying that make them very accessible and, and an ongoing, what you call an avoda. It's an ongoing spiritual discipline to be able to learn them and fulfill them. And now how do you, how do you recommend, uh, give us, give us a, a practical step as to how to bring that, the consciousness into your life. Like, like, okay, you know what? You know, I'm hearing Rabbi Shalom Schwartz. Yes, I, 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 I can, I can see that. That's true. And I haven't put that enough into my mind. Now, now what, what, what's a, give me a practical step about how do I, you know, incorporate that more into my daily routine, my daily life. Okay. I have a, a little bit of a way out answer for that. Okay. I mean, okay. The, the, the simple answer is get a book and read it and start doing it to take our course um, you know, in Hebrew, we have some courses. I'm doing podcasts now in, in English, uh, in Hebrew, pardon me, every week, but I hope to start one soon in, Hebrew, in English. There's, there's Learn about it. That's the simple answer. But I'm going to give mm -hmm. another one that's a little challenging, but I, I think if we're already on that question, I'm going to share something that actually changed my life about two months ago, okay, on this question. Okay. And that's the following. Uh, you know, in the, in the temple, I'm talking about the Mishkan, in the temple, we know from the Mishnah Tamid that the in the Kohanim every day, as part of, and I'm saying this very specifically based on the Talmud Yerushalmi, as part of Kriyat Shema, they said the Ten Commandments. They said the Ten Commandments every day. Mm. And there are many Mephorshim that want to say that it wasn't just in the temple. It was part of the service everywhere. What does that mean? So you and, you and I would get up in the morning and we'd say, 
the Ten Commandments, the whole Ten Commandments takes about a minute to say all of the, you know, the whole text of the Ten Commandments. It's just a short right. little text, followed by the words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then the next, right after that, it says, Love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these things, these things, that I'm commanding you today, you know what that refers to according to the Rishalmi? The that he brought, the Ten uh-huh. Commandments. Mm-hmm. And reading that directly following, you're supposed to put them on your heart. Teach them right. to your children. Right. When you get up, when you lie down, these are the Ten Commandments that are meant to be constantly in your consciousness. They are the focus of what you teach your children. So if you want to do a daily practice of it, once a day, take out a Bible, read chapter 20 of Exodus, the beginning chapter of 20 in Exodus. It starts with the words, and God spoke all these words saying, and it's the revelation at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. And then follow it with the words of the Shema, mm-hmm. which basically reminds you that this is your core values for your day, for your life. Right. And I must tell you, it was I've been working on this for 14 years now. Two months ago when I saw Ramorda Khalio spoke about this in one of his books, that you should do this, it mm. changed my life. I do it wow. in the morning, I do it in the evening, and it's a transformative uh, reminder. It, it's a fulfillment, first of all, of uh, what it says in the Bible. Every day, take heed. Take heed. Don't forget the day you stood at Mount Sinai and you heard my voice, because this is the resonance of God's voice in our lives Daily, the Ten Commandments are the echo from Sinai that are meant to awaken what was printed on our souls and printed on our souls then, and to bring our consciousness aligned with these core values and our actions and our speech together with it. So the first step is just become familiar with it, and 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 doing it once a day, or if you want to do it once a week, whatever. It it just take the time to read it, meditate right. on it, and that'll lead to much many more things. All right, so let's take a little. Let's take a tiny pause for just one second. I'm going to open my, my studio door here. I'm going to yell out to Malka and ask her to bring in something special from the kitchen. I tried to WhatsApp her during uh, when you were talking, but I don't know if she saw it. So hold on a second. One second. Malka, can I ask you to bring the Ten Commandments from the kitchen, please? All right. Okay, great. So uh, we are live, though. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that's 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 uh, it's a very – you're saying – Read it, read it, learn about it, make it part of your life. Uh, you also have a course uh, on it that uh, people can join, and that is found at aseretglobal.org, uh, A-S-E-R-E-T, aseretglobal.org. And you have a course there. People can join it. You can make podcasts in English as well. That's great. And, and Malka just delivered this from the kitchen. This is Beautiful. a Ten Commandments that my father-in-law, Malka's dad, uh, he's a he is a doctor in Texas, and his hobby is a woodwork, a wood uh, wood burning, wood carving, wood burning, and he made this, and I was just ecstatic about it. This is a beautiful Ten Commandments. Oh, how awesome is that? Really yeah. beautiful. I really love it a lot. And it lives in my kitchen. And, and me and, and people who listen to my show, people who listen to my show know that I'm also an advocate of stuff in your life and in your house, physical things that remind you of the land of Israel. <clears throat> I'm always advocating for drinking Friday night wine from the land of Israel. 
uh, and having a poster of a picture that you took in the land of Israel. And I think having a, a, a Ten Commandments jewelry, a Ten Commandments picture, a Ten Commandments magnet in your house, it just reminds you that this that you have a value system, that you have a core value system that you live with, that 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 it's that it that, that you can think about. And then and then you come up with something like this is you know one of my favorite commandments, or this is this is something that I'm focusing on right now. Uh, uh, it's it's it it makes a difference. Let's just let's just say hi to some of the folks that have joined us. I think uh, Fernando from Brazil, Shalom. Um, Denise says a joyous Chodesh Tov. That's right, the new month of of Adar, Adar one. Uh, C- uh, Cecile says, God bless all of you from Virginia. And Marilyn, my good friend, says Shalom from North Carolina. Shalom. And even not so far away, Hananya says shalom from Eilat and Chodesh Tov. That's awesome, Hananya. I'm I'm a little jealous. It's probably nice and warm over there. And so it is in Utah. So shalom from Utah. And down uh, a, a few uh, kilometers down the road is uh, our uh, our our one of our I think one of our sister states, which is Kurdistan or uh, uh, autonomous Kurdistan, the region in North Iraq. And uh, they have share a lot with us. I, I wish that relationship would only grow more. So Shirzad uh, Mamsani says, Shalom from Kurdistan. And I saw Shalom to you and Salam Aleikum right back to you. And Lou uh, says, why are the Ten Commandments not said anymore as part of the Shema prayer like you recommended? Why is that? Oh my me, and, gosh, you, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you answer that in just a second. <laughs> but uh, but just my good friends, uh, Michael and Anna, Anna Marie, they say, I just ordered my Exodus 2010 Commandments frame from Zazzle. It comes in on Valentine's Day and we placed next to our picture that we took in Israel 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the, when the Lopez's want something, they they when they hear something that touches them, they're they're there. They don't they don't they don't they don't they don't chew it over, they get it done immediately. So that's awesome. It's a great idea. And I want a picture of that. I want you to send me a picture, I want you to email me, hishaishaifleischer.com, uh, and I want to see that. Uh, and uh, Wendy says shalom from Queens, New York. So folks from all over the world are 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 joining us. And back to Lou's question, if we can, why are the Ten Commandments not said anymore as part of the Shema prayer? I'm currently reading a 120-page doctorate thesis on that question uh, <laughs> by a fellow named David Matar, who you might know, uh-huh. Nadia Matar's husband. Sure. Uh, and he wrote his uh, doctorate thesis or an MA thesis on this subject uh, okay to 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 summarize it wouldn't do justice to it let's just say that he he took it upon himself it's very tersely dealt with in the talmud it's not a subject that is widely understood there's a couple of theories about when and how it actually got removed and why um all i will say is that he does make the case for considering it coming back now at this time as mm-hmm. something that mm-hmm. you know we don't do those things lightly, but there are a number of halakhically acceptable ways, which is, like I said, doing it not as part of the formal service, but um, there's Kriyat Shema Alamita. We say the Shema before we go to sleep, famous rabbi known as the Shla Kodosh. That's when he said the Aserat that he brought from, from the book of Deuteronomy before that. Right. Uh, he did it that way, and and we can also do it um, in our uh before the actual formal service, meaning 
uh, before Baruch Shamar, if you know what I'm talking about, sure, early part sure. in, the, in the service, where we actually have a reference to saying the Shema, you can do it right. there as well. That's where the halachically, you'll find it in some Sidurim place just before that Kabbalat um, Olmachut Shemayim, the part where we accept upon ourselves our commitment to our mission through the saying of the Shema. That's, that's right. a very good place to say it. And and I heard, and I think that's something that changed my life vis-a-vis, <clears throat> excuse me, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Ten Commandments, was that the Shema phrase, the uh, the initial phrase, Shema Israel, Hashem Elkeinu, Hashem Echad, Hero Israel, Hashem is our God, Hashem is one, is actually a condensed version of the first two commandments. Hero Israel, Hashem is our God, which is the first commandment. Hashem is one, as in one and not divided. It's an against idolatry statement. And so therefore, those two first two commandments, which were heard by the Jewish people at Sinai directly from God, not with the intermediary assistance of Moshe, but rather direct from Mipia Gvura, from, from, from the heavenly voice himself, uh, and they heard those first two commandments, th that is truncated into a phrase, which is, again, a, a not only is it a life phrase, which affirms, uh, uh, our, our value system, but it's also an identity phrase. The, the Shema Israel. Like if you know, if you don't know Shema, it's like you're you're you know there's something missing in your in your Judaism. It's like a it's like a, it's like an essential element. And as I tell the story every time, my my, my wife's grandfather, when he was laying in, in a ditch in a death camp uh, uh, on the day of the Russian uh, liberation of the camp, uh, a, an officer came up to him and said, "Ich bin a Yid. I am a Jew." Shema Yisrael. That's what he said to him. Shema Yisrael is, was his way to say, I am a Jew. And that encapsulates that first phrase, the, the, the first two commandments, which is really out of the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments are the essential ones. I am God. There's no other God before me. And, and, and the rest, the rest is, 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 is commentary on that, you know, on, on those two. And that's why we heard it direct from the boss himself. He, he gave us that, that, um, uh, th that uh, communication. Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, I feel like we could talk for a lot much longer, but uh, uh, sadly, time is up. Uh, I do want everybody to please visit uh, the website, which is, uh, I'm bringing it up here, which is aseretglobal.org. Uh, and there's really cool, there's an online course here that you can go to, and there it, there it is. You could put together your own group. There's sessions, there's booklets. Uh, and you could just fill out your name here and and uh, and start the the, the uh uh, the course and there's also courses and curricula for schools and that's very important uh, for day schools and for other people and I have a feeling that there's people listening to to this right now who are going to want to sign up for this course so it's an excellent excellent opportunity rabbi I want to thank you is there is there any last uh, parting words that you have for us a story or anything else you know, I, I have a little story that it's a little, it's on one of my favorite commandments, which is the fifth commandment to honor your parents. You know, we all, you mentioned how uh, I also grew up in an age where I, a lot of my friends started calling their parents by their first names. And, hmm. and it, you know, it was, a, it was a situation where, and and I remember being at one of the schools in Israel, one of the t most touching moments we have in the program that you run in Israel was when we do a parents and children evening for um for the Ten Commandments project. And we bring them together and the parents actually exchange notes with each other. The kid writes what I appreciate about my parent, the child, the parent writes things that they want the children to know about their values and they exchange these notes. And I can't tell you how 
I cry every time I watch this. You know, they, they, they're reading this, tears are coming, they hug each other. It's just one of those moments. And um, at one of these sessions though, one of the fathers stood up and said, you know, I don't, I don't get this stuff. You know, you're supposed to really honor everybody equally. I don't want my parents, my kids to honor me specially. And I, you know, there was sort of silence in the room and there's a little ambivalence about what he was saying. But uh, this week I, I saw an interview with Tom Brady, who just retired from football, uh, the quarterback, you know, so he, he actually was interviewed and, and out of the blue, there's this kid that asked him the question. He said, Mr. Brady, you know, you're the hero of millions of people and millions of kids. And tell me, who's your hero? And you see Tom Brady sort of, he said, well, that, that's a good question. And he's pondering it. And he comes back and he looks at the camera and you see a little tear dropping from his eyes. And he said, my dad, my dad is my hero. And it was just such a profound moment. Here's this fellow who's, you know, he's revered by, because he can throw a football and he's, but he's clearly got something besides that. But his hero is his father. And, and we want to ask ourselves, how do we act in ways that we're heroes to our children? How do we parent in such ways and that we can actually create that dynamic? We don't like to be our children's heroes. So somebody asked me that question, and I, I said, you know, on some level, it's if your children are your hero, if you really respect them and see their potential, they're more likely to, to reflect that back to you. So the point being that there's a lot of dimensions to all of this. But in some ways, it boils down to how we want to live our lives, that we can be really a guide for our children, for our societies, for our families, and, and for ultimately for the Jewish people becoming the kind of nation that will be a light unto the nations. And it, and it comes down to some simple principles, 10 of them, in fact. And if you review them and live them, we'll realign ourselves with that purpose that we are entrusted with at Mount Sinai. Rabbi Shalom Schwartz, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you are the, one of the Talmidei Muvakim, the, 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 a deep student of Rabbi Noah Weinberg from Aish. Uh, you uh, were in charge of Aish Toronto for a long time, and, uh, and a Russian Aish here in the land of Israel developed it. Uh, today you are part of this uh, amazing project to bring the Ten Commandments into general consciousness. Uh, I recommend everybody check out uh, the website, which is aseretglobal.org. Uh, and I want to thank you. And I'm going to myself take upon myself a more um, uh, daily and didactic uh, study and, and appreciation and love for the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure that when you just put that on your heart, uh, it's uh, it starts to to grow and be and be a thing that uh, that brings life, joy, morality uh, into our personal lives, our national lives, and hopefully our global lives as well. Rabbi Shalom, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. So well put. All right, folks, uh, there's Rabbi Shalom. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, it was great being with you. I want to send you a lot of blessings. Uh, Allison says, uh, she says, thanks to you both. And uh, and Brian Feinstein says, Lech Shalom, be blessed and go in peace. And all the other folks, I want to send you blessings uh, from the land of Israel to all of you for a great, uh, a great Shabbat and a happy new month. Uh, and thank you for all the global friends that have joined us today. And thank you to uh, these platforms that allow us to speak about this. This is this is when we've just we've just sent the cleaning agent through the pipes when we talk about the Ten Commandments 
uh, through the internet. We just cleansed so much and made this whole thing worth it. Uh, that that God was like, this is what I this is why I made the internet. This is why I made the communications revolution so we could share the 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 word of God, the Sefer Dibot, the Ten Commandments from the land of Israel, from because from Zion shall flow forth, shall come forth Torah. So God bless you guys. And Wendy says, she says, thank you so much for this great blessing. Absolutely. And Lou says, great interview. Uh, and that's it. That's all we got to do, except for uh, staying strong out there. And if you're listening on the podcast, we'll be back with Table Torah uh, right after this. And if you're here with me live, then God bless you and Shalom. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. We're back. It's been a long show. We're going to wrap it up soon. We're going to do a little Table Torah. Before we do that, let's just thank the good folks that make this show happen, which is uh, Lou, Moshe, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Yo Chevid, uh, they get the show out to the world, and we thank them so much. Uh, they really make this uh, they make the show happen, and they're awesome, and they're a great team. So that's uh, Yo Chevid and Tabitha and Moshe Herman and Ben Bresky and Lou. Lots of folks make this show happen, and of course, you make the show happen when you're part of it, when you're listening to it, and of course, if you feel like uh, donating and buying a cup of coffee, it's fun. It's a fun feeling. Leaves me, leave me a little nice message there, which is buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. Uh, I also want to thank some of our sponsors, hebronfund.org. The Hebron Jewish community survives through the support of uh, the international uh, uh, lovers of the Abrahamic way. And uh, they, the folks of Hebron, they are the defenders of the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, uh, the forefathers and mothers. And you could support them through hebronfund.org. And uh, another fun way to support your favorite folks in Israel is through uh, the incredible deliciousness that is uh, Prohibition Pickle. And I cannot tell you how delicious that salami and vodka that uh, Chaim brought me. Uh, and soon it was. And soon he's going to have a great new website. In the meantime, you can check out Prohibition Pickle on Instagram and on Facebook, and you can order stuff for your favorite uh, folks that are here in Israel to make your to make Shabbat so special and awesome. Uh, and that's uh, Chaim at Prohibition Pickle. Uh, then we have uh, many other good friends. Um, we're soon going to be joining the JNS.org family. This show is going to be joining the JNS uh, Jewish News Syndicate uh, family, and I'm very excited about that. So check out their website and also JewishPress.com, who put out a great email called the Jewish Express. Uh, they are doing great work and uh, putting, giving you true, true vision of uh, of what's happening here, and not a warped uh, 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 leaning of a bias of anti-Israelism that you get in some news uh, news sites as well. Uh, there are other folks that sponsor the show, uh, but in, in, I, I'm out of time, and I just want to thank all of them. Our number one sponsor is the Kodesh Baruch Hu, Hashem. Uh, Hashem, God Almighty, uh, and we are part of the Land of Israel Network, which is located uh, here in Judea in this beautiful farm, uh, the the Arugot Farm, brainchild of Ari Brownwitz and Jeremy Kempel, just incredible, and, and their amazing families, amazing wives, uh, and it's just a, a, a spiritual uh, a retreat of unparalleled unparalleled proportions 
and I'm not exaggerating. It's just something that you come there and your spirit is taken out, just taken to a higher place, higher, uh, higher level. Uh, so, of course, when you're booking your trip, and I can't wait until I see you here in the land of Israel soon, as trips are going to be coming back soon and, and tourism is opening up. Now let's get to uh, Table Torah a little bit. Uh, we have a Torah portion, as I said before, which is called Truma, uh, which is all about the blueprint of the tabernacle, the beginnings of the blueprint of the tabernacle. And inside this Torah portion, which is filled with blueprint, is actually one of the most central and important verses in the whole Torah. I dare say that this verse is, in some ways, the central verse of the whole Bible. Yes, it is shocking, but it is in Parsha Truma this week. And all you have to do is say this verse over and over again like a mantra, and and it, you and you'll see in a second why, because this verse is in many ways the ultimate purpose verse. You ask why God created the world, and He says, in order to bring my presence into this world and to share my presence with humanity. And the verse is chapter twenty-five, verse eight, ve'asu li mikdash ve'shachanti betocham. And they shall make for me a holy place, a sanctuary, and I will dwell within them. Boom. That's it. That's the big verse. I will, they will make for me, they, the humanity, Israel, will make for me a sanctuary, a holy place, and therefore I will dwell within them. There's a simple double meaning of this verse, which is, if you make yourself into a holy vessel, God will dwell within you. Vasuli Mikdash, if they make themselves into a temple, Vashachanti Bitucham, I'll dwell within them. So God will dwell within the individual person, you who's listening to this right now. You could be a vessel for a temple for God's presence. And the same thing is true for the home. Make the home a holy place. God will be there. Make your ears listen to holiness of a, of a podcast talking about Torah. Boom, it's in your head. Now God is living in your head. And Israel, the state of, the, the, or the land of, be a vessel. And God will be drawn into you and then out through you to the world. And then we're making the globe into a vessel for godliness. And of course, the ultimate expression of that is the temple itself. But as you can you can you can see it it is a it is it is just a master vessel, but all the other vessels, the the mind, the brain, the heart, these things are unparalleled brilliance. It's impossible to to understand what a what a gift the brain and the heart are and the rest of our body. And and if you just if you just allow yourself, you could become a, a channel for godliness. And if you allow yourself, you could you could easily push god god godliness away. It's not that hard to do that. A little image here, a little image there, a little bad word here, a little bad word there. Boom, you could easily uh, push it out. In any case, uh, consider what I'm saying, that this may be the very, very most central verse in the whole Torah, which is, which is really the purpose of man and the gift of God's presence in our lives. And now I want to get to uh, my last point for kind of a table Torah, for something that you could say over at the table which is that um, we, have, we have a whole Torah portion filled with icons. And you know what? Different icons work for different people. When I say icons, of course, I mean it, godly images 
um, like uh, the the tabernacle uh, or like the altar, uh, like the the showbread. And I'm sure there's somebody listening out there which like they meditate on the showbread table. But I I think that we can usually agree that the one of the most iconic of them all there's there's the Ark of the Covenant, right? There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the Ark of the Covenant, which is uh, 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 you know those cherubs and the wings. Uh, uh, and and God's voice coming between them that that's at the end of the parsha so that's super iconic but I think we can agree that the most iconic of them all is the menorah and the menorah is is uh, the directions to make a menorah is given in this week's Torah portion uh, and it says Vasita menorah zahav make a menorah zahav tehora mikshata se menorah make it from one piece of gold. Um, and six, um, six uh, candelabras coming in from a central one. Now, when you read it, if you didn't know what you were looking at, then you, you wouldn't be able to really replicate it or make it happen from the words. And the last verse about the menorah says, And see and make in the, in the fashion that you are shown here on the mountain. And Moses uh, was given a vision of the menorah and, and was asked to copy it. However, Rashi says that God, that Moses did not have an easy time understanding it until God showed him a vision of menorah in fire, a menorah in fire. And uh, I ask and consider you to ask, why a menorah in fire? Why not a menorah, a picture, a JPEG? And I came up with some answers. Three answers specifically. Why, why did God show him a menorah of fire and not a menorah of uh, just a regular menorah? Like, what, what was the extra fire part for? So here's three quick teachings about why menorah of fire. Um, one, there may come a time where they cart away your menorah and take it to Rome. There may come a time where uh, your temple is going to be destroyed. So I just want you to know that the original menorah was not down there, but it's up here with me. It's a menorah in fire. And it's going to continue to shine, shine bright. It's going to continue to give off heat and warmth. And you Jewish people, even if you don't have the menorah down there, just know that the original copy is with me up in heaven. It's a heavenly, fiery menorah. And it can never go out, and nobody could ever cart it away, just so you know that. And there's a heavenly Jerusalem, which is waiting to be populated uh, when you guys populate the lower Jerusalem. So that's number one, which is there's a heavenly fiery menorah and it's always there. And you don't have to worry uh, that, that you know you don't have it, you will have it, and my original one, nothing can touch it. That's number one. Number two, so that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a historical, you know, long-term faith type vision. The second one is more practical in our lives. We think that, that, that we yearn to like light our personal menorahs in our life. We think we have to get to the top and, and light those candles. But God says to you, guess what? You thought that only the top was lit? Just so you know, the body's also lit. What does that mean? It means that like all of your efforts are valuable. All of the path until you get to the top is also lit up. All of our small steps, they're also counted in, our, in our long, the gift of our long lives. Like along the way, everything you're doing, that's also lighting the menorah. It's not just an end game. And, and Jewish history is not just an end game. It's not all about just get to Mashiach. Oh my gosh, if we could just get that, then we'll be done. No, 
It's all the good steps along the way. It's all the chesed, all the kindness along the way. And so it's not just the top that's lit. It's the whole body. It's, it's, it's the path, not, not the end product, which is, uh, which is what Judaism is about. So, so lesson number two is really about uh, how to serve God in joy through the efforts, through the long, through the long road, uh, and all of it is lit along the way. So the first one was kind of national, historic, and the second one is more kind of personal and, and faith. And the third one is pedagogical. I think that maybe God taught Moses something about what happens when you ask a question. So Moses is like a student, and he's like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Can you please explain to me how to do a menorah? So God's like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the answer, but I'm also going to teach you about how to teach. When you're, when you're a student, like you are a student of mine right now, when, you come, when a student comes to you and they're going to ask you a question, the answer should be an answer of fire. Show them the passion of Judaism. Don't answer them in a cold way. Yeah, technically we do this, we do this. Give them the fire. Show them what it's about. So he says, oh, you want an answer? I'll give you an answer. But the answer is an answer of fire. There's, there's esh. There's excitement. There's heat. And not just a perfunctory uh, legalisms. And those are important. The law is mucho important. But there's something which is broader, which is deeper around it. And you've got you've to share and communicate that passion. So those are the, I think, three lessons of uh, the menorah of fire. Uh, let's go through it again very quickly, which is the first one is that there's a menorah in heaven and it's never, it's never going to be extinguished. And two is that the path, the long path along the way, is just as important as the end goal. It's also lit. And thirdly, when we teach our children, we teach them with excitement and we, and we thereby uh, pass the long chain we can, we can pass it from generation to generation and excite the next generation uh, about the great story of the Jewish people. And, and that's, that's one of our great missions is to keep passing it on. Folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Thank you for joining me on this uh, long podcast. Uh, I want to thank all of you folks uh, for, for being out there and being strong. Thanks to Malka Fleischer for joining me uh, in the beginning of the show. Thank you, Hashem, for the great gift. Thank you to the awesome uh, listeners and friends around the world. Please write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. Love to hear from you. Check out uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai uh, for a little bit of lovings, a little bit of sharings. And, uh, and with that, I send you my blessings for an excellent week and a chodesh tov. And may we be happy and strong. 60 days of only joy. That's our challenge this, this uh, uh, starting today. And if you missed the day, don't worry about it. Just keep going strong. 60 days of joy. And may all of our troubles and travails fade away. And we see a great time and a great revelation. And we're living in an awesome time of revelation. Thank you, Hashem, for every moment. God bless you. Stay strong. Stay connected. Stay tuned. More great stuff is on the way. And shalom. The world, says Albert Einstein, is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. And I say that one thing you can always do is tell the tale. So I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story 
on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.